copies of God's Word, turn them to Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10, found in the New Testament, goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read this morning from Mark chapter 10 and verses 13 through 16. If you're not familiar with reading the Bible, uh, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. And the small numbers are the verse numbers. So we're in Mark chapter 10 and verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Please follow along as I read. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray once more together. Our Father, we would pray for that same blessing this morning, that you would, so to speak, lay your hands upon us and communicate blessing to each one, especially to dear children among us. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I'd like to preach what I'm calling a topical sermon, uh, directed especially to children. Now, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want you to know this sermon is a bit unusual for us, uh, at least for two reasons. Uh, The first is because I normally preach consecutively through books of the Bible. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that's the typical MO around here. Uh, We open to a particular book, and week by week, I just continue wherever I left off the previous week. That's the normal diet of of preaching here in uh, this church. Well, today I'm breaking from a series of sermons I've been in to preach a special message, a topical message directed particularly to children. So this message represents a bit of an aberration from my normal practice. I hope it will be a welcome and blessed aberration, but it is an aberration nonetheless. Uh, The second reason this sermon is a bit unusual is because I don't often preach sermons directed to particular audiences or demographics within the church. Typically, preaching God's Word, hoping that it edifies and blesses every single one, and indeed I still hope that will happen today, but I'm choosing to direct my message especially to one particular group among us, the children who are gathered here. Uh, Of course, I do intend for all of us to be instructed and helped by the message, but I'm preaching especially to children this morning. Uh, And I trust it is permissible to do that kind of a thing as the Scriptures themselves at different points will address particular demographics among the church body. And Jesus himself at times addressed particular demographics among the crowds that he was speaking to at different times. So, although not ordinary for our church, I think this is permissible for us to do. And so, if you're visiting, I just want you to know the sermon this morning, a bit unusual from our normal uh, protocol. And so, one may wonder, why preach a sermon directed especially, primarily, to children? Well, lots of reasons why. Let me give at least three. First of all, Jesus is specially interested in children. Jesus is specially interested 
and children. An account of Jesus' special interest in children is recorded in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I've read for you Mark 10, where Jesus' love for children is presented uh, perhaps most vividly uh, there in verses 13 through 16. What did we see in that passage? What do we see there? We discover immediately that Jesus has a very low tolerance for adult disciples who would hold kids off from coming to Jesus. The word that is used there is translated indignant. He was indignant when he saw that his disciples were seeking to hold children off from Jesus. That word indignant is a very strong word. It means that Jesus was moved with indignation, with outrage, when he saw his disciples doing this. That they would think Jesus is too important to be bothered with children. That Jesus doesn't have time for little children. That Jesus can't be bothered to have little children come to him and hear about him and have blessing communicated to them through him. He has very low tolerance for that kind of a thing. We also, as we read on, learn that Jesus goes further. He tells his disciples that the kingdom of God belongs to children. What an interesting statement. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these children who were literally physically before Jesus. Now, I don't know what all that statement means, but at the very least it means children, like everybody else, may become citizens of the kingdom of God. They may become part of God's kingdom. To such belongs the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And then as we read on, we see this beautiful display, this illustration of Jesus' affection and love for children. He actually physically takes up the children in his arms. We're to imagine a child maybe no larger than Emma right here on the front row. And, and a child just the size of little Emma would have come and Jesus would have taken her up in his arms embraced her, blessed her. What a beautiful picture of Jesus' love and special interest in children. Uh, A second reason why I think it's a good thing to preach a sermon directed especially to children, and that is because children can and must be saved. Children can and must be saved. I think we often need to be reminded, brothers and sisters, that children are people. Uh, Children are human beings created in the image of God. All of our children here are image bearers of God. Uh, We too often tend to think of children as like pre-people or like pre-human beings or like pre-adults. That's what children are to us often. And that's wrong. Children are people. Children bear God's image and children have consciences. Children have thoughts. Children have personalities. Children are far smarter and more intuitive than we often think. And many of them are quite spiritually sensitive and spiritually in tune and quite aware of eternal things, often more so than adults are. But it's not just that children are people and image bearers. Children are sinners. I know it's popular to view children as largely innocent, sinless in good natures, good natured, excuse me. But friends, that's simply not true. If you think children Uh, should not be regarded as sinners, all you're revealing to me is that you don't have any. (laughs) If you think that children are sinless, uh, I would just encourage you to hang out here about 30 minutes after the service. (laughs) Go out to the playground, go to the hallways, or just come to my house on a weeknight at 5 (laughs) p.m. I mean, I mean that only slightly as a joke, but you will see evidence very quickly that children like all of us are sinners. Children are born in sin. And they, like all of us, are answerable to God. 
was more, children sometimes die. I imagine probably all of us here have known or been connected to, at some point, a child who has died. Life is fragile, and children's lives are fragile, and there is no guarantee that any child here will reach adulthood. Children, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't guarantee to you that you will one day be an adult. A life is very fragile. We don't know the future, and children sometimes die before they reach adulthood. But here's the good news. Yes, children are people. Children are sinners. But those sinners, children can be saved. You don't have to be kids 18 or 21 or 35 to become a Christian. Jesus saves children, even little children. You children here listening to me, if you can understand what I'm saying to you this morning, you can be saved. If you can understand what I'm saying to you this morning, you can be saved and you must be saved. All of us, including children, have sinned against God. And all of us, including children, may be saved through faith in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And friends, we must insist on this. Children can and must be saved, and therefore we should speak to them directly about Jesus. And we must make direct appeals to them to come to Jesus that they might be saved. Pastors here, Sunday school teachers here, uh, parents here, teachers in the Christian school, you ought to be making direct appeals to the children under your care to turn from their sin and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Not in a way that's manipulative, and not in a way that preys on their ignorance or their emotional volatility, but in a way that appeals to their conscience, a way that directs them to Jesus, who alone can save them. You've heard me say this before, in this church, the majority of the members, I do all the membership interviews, okay, or almost all the membership interviews, the majority of the members of this church were saved while still children. Most of the people I'm talking to now who are Christians were saved while still children. And the vast majority of God's people throughout church history were saved while still children. Preaching the gospel to children is the most fruitful and effective evangelistic program in the history of the world. Bringing Christ to kids is so often the way God has been pleased to build His kingdom and grow His church. Third and final reason why I think it's good to preach a sermon to children, and that is because all saving faith is childlike faith. There is no such faith that saves that isn't childlike faith. Jesus says in verse 15 of Mark 10 in our passage, He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, there is no other way to enter God's kingdom to become a Christian than to receive Christ in the posture of a child, or to believe on Him, as we often say, with childlike faith. Now, friends, that doesn't mean that our faith never matures. Childlike faith is not the same thing as childish faith, but it does mean our posture must be one of little children in coming to Jesus and trusting in Him with a kind of sincerity and humility and confidence and joy of a little child. But the sister, you may be 50 years advanced in the faith, and you may be well-studied and well-learned in the things of God, and you may have read John Calvin and the Puritans and Bavinck, but when you appear before God on the last day, it will not be your maturity or your advances in divinity that will save you. You will finally be saved by the same childlike faith with with which you first received Christ. 
So this is important for all of us to appreciate. Though this sermon is addressed especially to children, it is addressed to all of us. Even the oldest among us who must, like all the little ones here, all the young people here, believe on Jesus like a little child. Brothers and sisters, we must remember the childlike faith with which we first came to Jesus is the childlike faith by which we will persevere, and it is the childlike faith by which we will finally enter glory. Believing on Jesus like a little child. There is no other kind of saving faith than childlike faith. All right, now I've given you my apologetic for talking to the kids about Jesus, okay? We'll lay those reasons aside. Kids, please listen to me. I want to talk to you now. Uh, Children here. Uh, I know, kids, you're not always going to understand everything I say from this pulpit and from this stage or everything that Rex uh, says from this pulpit and from the stage or other preachers that will sometimes come and preachers. I I know you, you will not understand everything we say, but I think you understand a whole lot. Uh, I think you understand more than sometimes people may give you credit for. And kids, it's a good thing every Sunday to listen to the sermons that are preached. Try to understand as much as you can. I see so many times taking notes or drawing pictures of what's being talked about in the sermon and things like that. That's a good thing. And it would be very good, kids, if after the sermon, if there are things you don't understand, to find one of the pastors, me or Pastor Brad or Pastor Ben or Pastor Mike, or to find one of your Sunday school teachers, or to talk to your parents at home and to ask them about the things that you don't understand from the sermon. You could come, you know I'm always at the back door at the end of the sermon, you could come to me anytime, ask me any question you want. Uh, I want to help you better understand the sermons that are preached. I think you can understand much of what we preach Sunday by Sunday. Uh, The sermons, like everything else in this service, is for you, along with everyone else. Uh, What we do here on Sunday mornings is for you and not just for the adults. All the sermons are for you. The songs are for you. The prayers are for you. But now this particular sermon is especially for you. Uh, I ask my son every night, how was your day, son? What do you think of the day? He says, a good day, Dad. Every day is a good day to my son. But especially his birthday, which he had this week, is like a really good day. Well, every sermon is a sermon for you, but especially this one, okay? This sermon is especially for you this morning. Kids, I want to take the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so And I want to encourage you, each of you, to do one thing. Next 30 minutes, I want to encourage each of you to do one thing. With the minutes that remain, I want to encourage each of you to come to Jesus. You understand? That's the goal this morning. I want to encourage you in the time that remains to do one thing. I want to encourage you to come to Jesus whether you're 16 years old, or 12 years old, or eight years old, or four years old, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. And kids, I want you to know this. If there is one thing we want for you, that your parents want for you, that I want for you, that your pastors want for you, that your Sunday school teachers want for you, it is that you would come to Christ. It's not that you would get good grades. It's not that you would grow up and get married and start your own family. It's not that you would be the starting quarterback or the best gymnast on the squad 
or that you would win a trophy or a scholarship or a spelling bee. It's not that you would learn to read really well or that you would have lots of friends or that you would be thought of as pretty or popular or smart. The one thing we want for you above everything else is that you would come to Jesus and be saved. Now, you hear me say that often from this pulpit. I invite people to come to Jesus. And maybe you've wondered, what does that mean? And why does he say that all the time? Why does Jesus say that all the time? What does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, that's what our text is about this morning. Mark 10, 14, this is my text. Let the children come to me. What does that mean, and how do you do that? Jesus is inviting kids to come to him. Well, what does that mean, to come to Jesus? I want to ask three questions. Three questions, that'll frame our time. Won't take very long. I want to ask and answer three questions. Question number one, why kids should you come to Jesus? Question number two, what does it look like to come to Jesus? And question number three, what will Jesus do if you come to him? Three questions. Why should you come to Jesus? What does it look like to come to Jesus? What will Jesus do if you come to him? Let's answer the first question, okay, kids? Why should you come to Jesus. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Well, why should you come to Jesus? Kids, you should come to Jesus ultimately because you, like the rest of us in this room and the rest of us in this world, are a sinner and you need Jesus to save you. Why should you come to Jesus? Because you are a sinner and you need Jesus to save you. Like the rest of us, you are a sinner. Maybe you've heard of the verse, Romans 3, 23. Do you know what it says? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All. All without distinction. All without exception. All of us here have sinned against God. If you could hear my voice, you could understand what I'm saying. You are a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. That includes even small children among us. Ephesians 2, kids, this is a really good passage to learn, okay? Maybe your parents have talked to you about this passage. Ephesians 2, verse 1, do you know what that passage says? And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That sounds pretty bad. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you know, kids, that, that phrase, you were dead in your sins, that's a description of you. That's a description of me. We are born dead in our sins. I wonder, kids, have you ever been to a graveyard before? Or seen like a picture of a graveyard? I wonder if you've ever visited a graveyard. Some people think graveyards are really spooky. You know, Halloween is coming up, and so people will have like decorations of graveyards in their yard, and it's to be kind of spooky and scary. Well, if you're a Christian, kids, graveyards are awesome. I mean, they are wonderful. Miss Jenna can tell you. Pastor Alex loves going to graveyards. His graveyards are just full of promise and hope and good news uh, for those who are Christians. But imagine... Uh, we visited a graveyard together, maybe out on Robin Hood Road at the Methodist church up here. Uh, we go and visit the graveyard together. And imagine we stand in front of one of the graves. Kids, there's a dead person down there, six feet under the ground. Imagine we go up to that grave, and uh, here is, uh, we'll say, John Brown. It's John Brown's grave. And uh, you and I knock on top of the grave, and we say, hey, hey, John, 
uh, why don't we go fishing together today? What's John Brown going to do? Nothing, because he's dead. That's the picture the Bible uses to describe us and our sins. We're dead in sin. No, no hope to save ourselves. Just like John Brown can't get up out of that grave and go fishing with you and me. Oh, we can't do anything to save ourselves. We're born dead in sin. That's a description of you and that's a description of me. And kids, every time you disobey your parents, you're just giving evidence to that fact. Every time you tell a lie, every time you're angry at your brother or sister, you need to understand that is all sin against God. All of us are sinners, including you. But now further, you need to understand that sinners who remain in their sin never seek the salvation that God offers. They're under God's judgment. Kids, if we remain in our sin, God is going to judge us. God is perfectly holy and just. In fact, a book called Habakkuk, that's a funny name for a book, funny name for a guy. He was a prophet. And in Habakkuk 1, we read that God is too holy, he's too pure to look upon sin. Kids, God's perfect. He doesn't sin like us. He doesn't lie like us. He doesn't uh, get angry in the way we do at other people. God doesn't sin like we so often do. God is too pure, too holy to look upon sin. Well, kids, God has given us a righteous standard. He's given us His law, and He tells us that we're to live by His law. We're to obey Him, and we're to do what He has called us to do. But what happens, kids, so often we don't. We sin against God. And that sin against God puts us in the path of God's judgment. God requires that we obey Him. God requires that we're holy. God requires that we honor Him, and we don't. And God says for all those who die in their sin and don't pursue salvation in Jesus, they'll come under God's judgment and under God's wrath. Romans 2.2 tells us that the judgment of God falls on those who practice sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. 2 Corinthians 5.10 makes it clear we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. Kids, listen to me here, okay? Each one of you will appear before the judgment seat of God, and you're going to have to give an account. And I see some of you kids, because we love you, so precious to us. Some of you are sitting on your parents' lap right now. Some of you are snuggling up to your mom or your dad. But listen, your mom and dad won't be there at the judgment seat. As much as I wish I could be there, I won't be there as your pastor to represent you to God. No, you will stand before God. And you'll have to give an account for all your sin against Him. What a terrifying thought. We will all answer to God for our sins. But now, kids, listen, that's, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. God has made a way of salvation. He has made a way of salvation for you in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. And sinners like you and me can be saved through Him. Oh yes, we all sin. We're dead in our sins. We all come under the judgment of God. But God has made a way that my sins can be forgiven and your sins can be forgiven. And that way is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to be our Savior. Here's a great verse I want each of you to memorize. 1 Timothy 1.15. To me, it's one of the best summaries of the gospel in all the Bible. 1 Timothy 1.15. You know what Paul tells Timothy there? This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? We're about to celebrate Christmas soon. 
We're like 65 sleeps away from celebrating Christmas, or less than that if you have insomnia. <laughs> We're going to celebrate that Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners like you and sinners like me. I want you to imagine this, kids. Imagine um, that the whole church was on fire. Okay, imagine the whole church is on fire. We're trapped in here. And then a fireman kicks down the door, these sanctuary doors. And he says, I've come to save every man here who is six foot two and has brown hair and brown eyes. That's great news for me. Don't know about you. But that means he's come to save because I am six foot two. I have brown hair and brown eyes. Okay, what's the description of the kind of people Jesus came into the world to save? Just, just one description. They're sinners. They're sinners. And that's good news because you and me, we're sinners. There's no other qualifications given. He doesn't say, well, you have to be, sometimes you go to the theme park and they got to say you need to be this high to ride the ride or something like that. There's no height requirement. There's no weight requirement. You don't have to take a literacy test. That means like you know how to read. Sorry, I sometimes use big words, kids. I'm trying to get better at that, okay? Uh, no, but there's no other requirement. The only requirement to have Jesus as your Savior is that you're a sinner and you know your need of Him and you come to Him as a sinner. Kids, we could always come to Jesus as sinners. That's why He came into the world. Another verse you should memorize is John 3:16. Pastor Brad quoted it, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Guess what? I live in the world and you live in the world. And that's where Jesus came. And he says, any from among the world who would believe on him can be saved. Because you know why they call him Jesus? Do you know what that name means? They said in Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Every time you say the name Jesus, you're saying the word Savior. Jesus is a Savior. His very name tells you that he is willing to save sinners like us. Kids, if you would be saved, you must come to Jesus. God's way of salvation is through His Son, the Lord Jesus, who came into the world to die for our sins and to rise again so that we can be saved and so that you could come to Him in repentance and faith and believe upon Him. So why do you need to come to Jesus? That's the first question, and it's going to be the longest of all of them, okay? Why do you need to come to Jesus? Because you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and Jesus is the only one who can save you. Kids, the thing in the world that you need most is to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. Listen to me, kids. Eyes up here, okay? Let me see your eyeballs. Look up here. You need to come to Jesus more than you need to graduate and go to college. You need to come to Jesus more than you need to ever have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You need to come to Jesus more than you need to see the next movie or read the next book or play the next video game. You need to come to Jesus more than you need to make it to your next birthday. You need Jesus more than anything. You need Jesus to save you from your sins because your sins will ruin you. Your sins will bring you under God's judgment. Your sins, kids, will bring you to hell. Therefore, you must be saved from your sins. Look, kids, praise God, there is a way you can be saved. And it is through coming to Jesus Christ, turning from your sins, trusting in Him. Those children who came to Jesus in Mark 10 that He took up in His arms, they came to Jesus to be their Savior, 
you need to come to Jesus just like that. Okay, that's the first question. Why should you come to Jesus? Now the second question. A little shorter, okay? And the last one's really short. What does it look like to come to Jesus? Okay, I know I gotta come to Jesus. What does it look like to come to Jesus? Like, how do you do that? Kids, when Jesus lived among us on the earth, maybe it seemed a little easier or clearer how to do that. When he was incarnate in flesh, I mean, Jesus, there was a time, kids, where Jesus was, a, I mean, he is a man still, but he would, he would appear before people just like I'm appearing before you. And you could come and shake his hand and give him a hug and you would hear his voice. Hey, Jesus is a real physical man. And what would happen is when he lived among us, people would come to him and they would talk to him and they would learn from him. And children even would come to him and they would see him. And he would invite them to come to him and they would come to him and he'd embrace them and hug them and speak to them. And Jesus is constantly saying throughout the Gospels, come to me, come to me. And you know what they did when he would say that? A lot of people literally came to him, like they came right up to him. And they would say things like, oh, oh Jesus, son of David, would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? There was a woman once who was really sick and she just, she just came to Jesus and touched the hem of his garment because she knew if I, if I could just reach my hand out and touch him, I might be healed, I might be saved. People would come to Jesus like that, sinful people, sorrowful people, children who knew themselves to be sinners, they would come to Jesus, and he talked to them. And you know what happened? They would come to understand that Jesus could save them, and they would turn from their life of sin, and they'd start following Jesus, like literally following him. Like he'd walk places, and they'd follow him, like wherever he was. They would just go to where he is. If Jesus is here, they'd come and follow him. If he's over there, they'd walk over here and follow Jesus. And what Jesus would do is he would teach them. And he talked to them about his grace for them and his love for them. And he would tell them how they can obey his commands. And he would teach them how to live in ways that honored God. And physically, they would go where he was. And physically, audibly, they would hear his voice and he would speak to them. And he would tell them wonderful promises. He would say things to them like, where I'm going to go, one day you're going to be with me. He would say things to them like, I will never leave you or forsake you. He would say things to them like, I, I will not leave you as orphans. He would say to them things like, your sins are forgiven and you can trust in me. I can bring you to God. They heard him say those things. They came to Jesus. Well, because this is an important question. What about now? Like, I get it. Like, if Jesus is standing there and he says, come to me, like, I, you just walk up to him. And you can relate to him that way. And you can hear his voice and you can talk to him. What about now, though? How do you, how do I come to Jesus? Because Jesus is not on the earth physically anymore. We don't see him gathering crowds together to him like he used to. Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he ascended where, kids? He ascended into heaven. Jesus still has a body, but it's not here on the earth. And of course, he's one day coming again, and we will see him again. And kids, that could be this afternoon. I don't know. Jesus is coming back. We'll see him one day. But what about now? What does coming to Jesus look like now? How can you come to Jesus? Because he's still inviting people to come to him. He still wants you to come to him. But how can you come to him if you can't see him physically or hear him talk audibly? Well, to start, children, you must feel your need of Jesus like those kids did in Mark 10. To start, you must feel that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And you must know him to be the only savior and the only solution for your sins. But then having understood that, what do you do to come to Jesus? What does it look like? 
But kids, listen to this. This is, this is huge. This is the key to a lot of things, okay? Jesus is able to be to us now like a literal, invisible friend. Jesus can be to us now, kids, like a literal, invisible, like you can't see him, friend. Kids, let me ask you this. Do you have an imaginary friend? Uh, when I was growing up, it was like a thing. Like, oh, do you have an imaginary friend? Oh, I have an imaginary friend. His name is Jason. Jason never let me down because I could you know, kind of make him in my own image. He was my imaginary friend. And, you know, Jason was great. You could pretend like you're talking to Jason, right? You have your imaginary friend. I don't know if you have imaginary friends. Always seemed a little desperate to me. But uh, maybe it's something that people still do today. An imaginary friend. Well, kids, what's the problem with imaginary friends? That's the worst part about imaginary friends. They're not real. They're imaginary. They don't exist. We've got to make them up. Okay, now here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is not imaginary. Though invisible, he's not imaginary. He's really with us as an invisible friend. I can talk to Jesus as my literal, true, invisible friend, and he hears me. If I leave this room and I go back into my study and I pray to Jesus, he hears everything that I say. He sees everything I do. He knows me better than anyone else in the world. And kids, if you talk to Jesus, your literal, invisible friend, he hears you. You can talk to him. This is amazing. You can talk to Jesus right where you are in the pew today. You can talk to him from your bed. You can talk to him anywhere in the world, and Jesus will hear you. And so we're to go, kids, to this invisible friend, and we're to speak to him in the confidence that he hears us. How do I come to Jesus? I get in my room, I close the door behind me, and I start talking to him. And I tell him what's on my heart. And I ask him to be my Savior and to be my Lord in the confidence he hears me. But now, how about him talking to us? How does that work? Uh, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm praying to Jesus and it'll feel like a bit of a one-sided conversation. I'm talking, but I don't hear another voice. Jesus doesn't speak to us audibly, like in sounds that we could hear today. So how about him talking to me? How do I know what Jesus thinks? How do I know what Jesus says? If I come to him, how do I know what he thinks? This is another clue that will unlock a lot of things, kids. Do you know how Jesus speaks to us today? He speaks to us in the Bible. In the Bible. Jesus speaks to us, which means, which means, when I go to the Bible and I read about the things Jesus said, I can know he's speaking to me. Isn't that amazing? If ever you see Jesus talking to a sinner, you could just put your name in there. He's talking to you. And when you see Jesus talking to his disciples, if you become a disciple of Jesus, it's Jesus talking to us. Jesus still speaks today, and he has chosen to speak to us through the Bible, which means when you read that Jesus can save sinners from their sins, that he came into the world to save sinners, that's a message to you. That's Jesus talking to you. When Jesus says, let the little children come to me, that's like Jesus before you now as your invisible friend telling you that you can come to him. When Jesus says, I can forgive your sins and I can heal you and I can make you well, that's Jesus' words to you. If you're to come to Jesus now, you must come to him and speak to him. 
as the invisible friend that He is, really there with you. And if you're to hear Him speak to you, you go to His Word. And kids, what we learn there is that for every child and for every sinner who comes to Jesus in repentance and faith, He will save you. And you can know that. If you read it in the Word, that it's true of Jesus, that He really does save sinners like me, you can know for certain that He's your Savior. And through His Word, kids, He will also teach you how to follow Him. Through His Holy Spirit at work within you, you'll be given power to obey Jesus more and more and more. And through His Word, you will know that He's coming again for you to save you. So kids, you are to pray to Him. You're to talk to Him. And then you're to go to His Word. And there you're to hear Him speaking to you. And when you see Jesus talking to sinners who call out to Him, that's Jesus talking to you. And when you see Jesus talking to disciples about how to follow Him, if you are His disciple, that's Jesus talking to you. And so kids, you come to Jesus. You won't see Him physically. You won't hear His voice. But you can still come to Him, and He does hear you. And He does receive you. And He does assure you from His Word that your sins will be forgiven if you come to Him in repentance and faith. That's what coming to Jesus looks like. All right, third and final question, kids. You guys have done great. Third and final question. This will be much shorter. What will Jesus do if you come to Him? If you take me at my word this morning, take God's word seriously this morning, and you come to Jesus, how is Jesus going to respond to you? What will He do if you come to Jesus this morning? Well, kids, that's the best part. Jesus promises all of us, including children here, that if you come to Him, He will receive you, and He will forgive you, and He will save you, and He will be to you a Savior and Lord, and He'll be to you like a shepherd with sheep. He'll respond with kindness and with tenderness, and just like Jesus once took the kids up in his arms. He'll embrace you. He'll receive you. And he will become your savior. That's how Jesus treats sinners who come to him. With nothing but their sins. And their faith that Jesus alone can save them. He saves every sinner who comes to him in truth. In repentance and in faith. There was a time, Matthew 11, uh, verse 28. This is another good verse to memorize, kids. Jesus was speaking to all these people in the city, all these people around him. And Jesus, as he's looking at all these sinful people, a lot of them were kids just like you. It was a crowd, maybe they looked like this. Do you know what Jesus said to them? All these sinful people, these weary people, these sorrowful people, these people who had no hope. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Tired of your sin? Are you hopeless? You need a savior? Come to me. I won't refuse anybody. I will give you rest from all your sorrow and your sin and your suffering and your weariness and your brokenness. I'll save you. There's another time in John chapter 6, thousands of people in front of Jesus. And there Jesus said in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And do you know what will happen to the one who does come to me? I will never cast him out. Isn't that an amazing promise? 
Kids, that's still true for us. If you come to Jesus, he will save you and he'll keep you and he'll never throw you away. He'll never stiff arm you like maybe those older disciples did in that scene in Mark 10. No, he'll say, come to me and I'll take you and I'll never throw you away. I'll never disappoint you. I'll never let you down. Kids, I as your pastor can let you down. Even your parents can and will let you down. Your closest friends will fail you. No one else can be your savior. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. No, if you come to him, he'll receive you and save you and forgive your sins. And the text says he will never cast you out. If you come to Jesus, kids, he will save you. And you will have him as your friend and savior for life. And he will help you, kids, to follow him. And he will one day receive you into heaven where you will see him physically and you will hear him audibly. What those kids experience in Mark 10 when Jesus took them up in his arms? Jesus will take you up into his arms. And he will bless you with eternal life forever. You'll be in paradise with God if you come to Jesus. Kids, I know that if you come to Jesus with all your sins and trust in him and look to him as your Savior and your Lord, he will save you, not only because his word tells me that, because you know what? When I was a child, I came to Jesus, and he saved me. I was only 10 years old when I came to Jesus. I was just a little kid. I didn't know anything about Charles Spurgeon. Didn't know the first thing about the book of Revelation. Didn't know where to find lots of stuff in the Bible. Couldn't define justification for you. Had to memorize the catechism. Fell asleep in Sunday school. I was a 10-year-old sinner. And I came to Jesus. You know what I did? I was sitting on a couch. It was really late at night. I got up in the middle of the night, and there was a hymn book on the counter. And I turned to the middle of this old Blue Trinity hymn book, hymn number 370, right there in the middle. And you know what hymn that was? We don't sing it here. Maybe we should. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And then I turned to the very back of the hymnal. I'm just flipping around. Hymn number 731, and we sing this song. Mr. Rex wishes that we would sing it more. It's called, And Can It Be? And do and you know what that, that, that hymn says? It talks about being locked in the dungeon of our sin. I was stuck. I was dead in sin. I was locked like in a cage of sin. But then God delivers us, and do and you know what the person sings in the song? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And kids, I went to Jesus as my invisible friend. As a 10-year-old boy who just knew that I was a sinner and that I was under God's judgment and that if he didn't save me, I would be in hell forever separated from him. And I just buried my face in the couch and I talked to my invisible friend. And I said, would you please save me? 
No one else can. Would you please come and forgive me of all my sins? I give you my life. I want to follow you. I trust in you. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you can be my Savior and my Lord. And do you know what Jesus did? He saved me. And he's been helping me ever since as my invisible friend to follow him. Kids, he's done that for like 100 people in this room. Been saving kids all the time. He can save you. You can go to Jesus just like that. And he will be your Savior and your Lord. Kids, I would encourage you even this day, we're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised your next birthday. Some of the kids sitting around us may not even make it into adulthood. Don't wait. Come to Jesus now as your Savior and your Lord. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. And the promise from His Word is that He will save you. When children came to Jesus in Mark 10, He took them up in His arms and He blessed them. That's what He'll do with you. And He'll save you. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father in heaven, we thank you that you hear us. Jesus, we thank you, our invisible friend, that you hear us. That as you appeared before sinners and as you appeared before little children who needed you to be their Savior, you didn't want them to stay away from you. You wanted them to come to you, that they might be saved. We trust that is your heart even still. That these, these kids here, and indeed all of us here, under the sound of my voice, you are willing to save them if they would come to you. That you still say, let the children come to me. Help all of us here, especially the children, to receive that word and to come to Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you that you receive sinners that come to you. No matter how young or how old, all that you ask is that they be sinners who know their need of you. Convince these kids of their need. Convince us all of our need. And may we find Jesus to be the Savior of our souls, who can bring us to God, who can forgive us of all our sins, who can cleanse us by His blood or what He did on the cross for us. Help us all to put our faith in Him as our Lord and our Savior. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.